We are hearing a lot today about systemic racism. Is that a term that really is appropriate for America? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Nathan Jones and I have a very special guest with us today, a former member of our staff, a wonderful evangelist by the name of Dennis Pollock. Dennis served with me as my assistant evangelist for 11 years before he decided 15 years ago in 2005 to establish his own ministry called Spirit of Grace. Dennis, we are just delighted to have you with us today, and it's hard to believe it's been 15 years. It is very hard to believe. I was, as I was driving up here, I was thinking, man, I used to be here all the time. Now, I'm looking at you, you and I'm reminded of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Now, what in the world do you have on and what is that called? Well, this is what's known uh, in uh, common language as a shirt. And <laughs> well, what is it known in Africa? Well, it's known in Africa as a shirt. <laughs> I mean, I don't speak some of the local dialects, so they may have other names in their local language, but uh, normally this is an African shirt. Africans love color. They love bright colors. And uh, it seems like about every time I go to Africa, I'll usually have someone give me a shirt or Benedicta will buy me one, my wife. Uh, and uh, so, and I'll usually preach in one at least once. All right. Now, your ministry is primarily aimed at Africa, right? Well, that is, has been a big emphasis. I, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of video production. You know, I've got two different YouTube channels going. Audio recording. Audio recording. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I do a lot of stuff, but we've been kind of known for our African missions. And you are actually married to a Nigerian, aren't you? I am married to a Nigerian, a lovely Nigerian lady named Benedicta. And I met her when I was praying for a wife and was over in Lagos, Nigeria. I saw this beautiful lady with a camera and I thought, wow, you know, and uh, uh, she's and, very beautiful. Well, she's not only a beautiful, beautiful lady, but she's a lady who's on fire for the Lord. Well, she mm -hmm. loves the Lord. And that was the thing I was concerned. It's like, <laughs> well, she's, she's beautiful, no doubt, but does she love the Lord? So she wanted to interview me. She was actually <laughs> recording some of my programs and trying to put together a video. She had her own camera. So I was interviewing her at the same time, asking, why aren't you married? And if trying to find out, if she really loved the Lord, and turned out she did. So well, today she well. is a vital part of your ministry because she, she actually goes over usually ahead of you and prepares everything for you to arrive, and then she actually does teaching, particularly with women, doesn't she? Well, yeah, and not only with women, but in the general group as well. And uh, yeah, you know, when when we got married, I didn't have any idea what she could do or whether she could speak. It didn't really matter. I I fell in love with her. And, and, and knew that she loved the Lord. But the, the very first time we went to a, a church there in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, after we were married, the pastor gave her a microphone to just kind of give testimony of what God had done in her life by bringing us together. And she just went to town and preached like a tiger. And I, I, was, I was in awe and, and in tears. Tears in love. Thinking this late, <laughs> I haven't just married a, a beautiful lady, I've married a preacher. <laughs> so it would be wasteful not to put her to work. And it turned out she was a good administrator as well. So, yeah, I, you, you know, she is a vital part of the ministry. Well, for I sure. praise God for your ministry and particularly the way God has really blessed it over the years and expanded your scope and your outreach. You know, uh, Dennis, I was, uh, when all these uh, uh, 
uh, all this protesting began in the streets of America. Uh, early on, I saw uh, protesters at the Dallas City Hall. And the TV uh, man was interviewing them. And he would say, well, now, why are you here? And a few said, well, we're protesting against police brutality. But mm. nearly everybody, and these were all teenagers and 20-year-olds, yeah. were saying, well, I'm, I'm protesting against systemic racism. And I thought, where did that term come from? That doesn't roll off the tongue of a teenager or a 20-year-old. Oh, I, I had to look it up. It means a, a system is structured with an unfair impact on a particular group, even if no law mentions race. Yeah. So, in, in fact, it, it, it's, it's, if it's <clears throat> systemic, it's throughout the whole thing, right. intentional, on purpose. Everything is designed right. to discriminate. And, and I just thought, man, they don't know what systemic racism is. I grew up in the 40s and 50s. I know what it is. Yeah. They need a little historical perspective. What is your perspective on this? Well, I, I agree completely. I, uh, there has been sy systemic racism in America. Yeah. In fact, from the time it was founded up to about the mid-60s and a little bit beyond, there it was. And systemic, uh, a common uh, layman's uh, interpretation or, or meaning of that word is riddled with. Yeah, America right. is riddled with racism. It's in the government, it's in the police departments, it's in the corporations, it's in the business sector, it's everywhere. It and you can't get away from it. And it was. And in the 19, you know, and now when I was growing up, I never even thought about racism. I was a little white boy, and I lived in a little white neighborhood, and uh, you know we didn't have uh, blacks in our schools. Uh, when, if we'd ever go out to restaurants, which we didn't much because my parents weren't that wealthy in those days, you almost had to be wealthy to do much restaurant eating. But anyway, you wouldn't see blacks there. You just didn't see blacks much at all. I, th I think our church was a little unusual. We had a couple of black families, but that was uncommon in those days. So I never much thought about it, and and the Martin Luther King actually started his uh, his uh, uh, ministry of trying to bring equality to the blacks around the time I was born, which was 1953. But this got really uh, ahead of steam in the 60s, and then in the 64 and 65, Lyndon Johnson uh, Johnson uh, signed those laws that basically said it is illegal, segregation is illegal. Discrimination is illegal. You have to give the rights uh, of blacks to vote. Don't charge them uh, voter fees. Don't give them literacy tests, you know, and, and all of that. So, uh, and, and I will say uh, a couple of things. You know, we're in agreement. America has had systemic racism. And, and here's a point I think the church needs to admit. One thing that disappoints me about the evangelical church in those days they really didn't get on board with supporting their black brothers and sisters. They needed Martin Luther King. They needed those laws passed. It, it was terrible in those days. And a lot of the evangelical preachers, Baptist pastors, Pentecostal pastors, and the ones that really loved the Bible and believed the Bible, they weren't out there protesting. It was the liberals, it was the, the Hollywood types uh, that were out there protesting, and the, the, the evangelicals pretty much stayed home. There were some exceptions. Billy Graham would go up into the uh, stadiums where, uh, in the South where they put up signs, blacks only, whites only, and he would tear those signs down. So he, you know, he was ahead of his time, and he was, an, and Oral Roberts did, I think, pretty much the same thing. So there, it's not that there were no evangelicals that were really supporting that, but many evangelicals did not. That was then, and this is now. And so, you know, these days, uh, 
the, the laws are passed. The government has done about all a government can do legally and by law to, uh, to end racism uh, in terms of policy, in terms of what, what is called systemic racism. Well, I'm a lot older than you are. Yes, and, you are. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, everything was segregated, everything. I mean, yeah. movie theaters, churches, uh, uh, stadiums, uh, transportation. We had apartheid in America. Everything was separated. And people uh, of race were treated terribly. Uh, I think one of the worst things was the way they kept them from voting because the, I think it's the 15th Amendment of the United States, the Constitution guarantees the right to vote. But what happened, <clears throat> particularly throughout the South, was uh, they had literacy tests and uh, a white man who could not read or write could always seem to pass the literacy test. Yeah. Whereas the, the black man who could read Shakespeare and interpret it for you just couldn't quite seem to read well enough mm -hmm. to vote. And then they had the poll tax. And, and I have a picture here of a poll tax receipt from 1945, and it cost $1.75 to vote in Texas. Okay. In 1945, $1.75 is equivalent to $25 today in purchasing power. Wow. So they basically had to pay 25 bucks to vote in yeah. 1945. And it was that Civil Rights Act of 1965 under Johnson that changed all that. And that was really the key to changing things was the right to vote. You know, when I was a kid, no blacks were in any offices anywhere. And here people are down here at the Dallas City Hall protesting against systemic racism. And the most powerful man in Dallas is the city manager, black. The mayor, black. The uh, District attorney, a progressive black. The police chief, a black lady. The sheriff, a black lady. And the one prior to that was a Hispanic lesbian who ran for governor. Systemic racism? <laughs> That's unbelievable that th that would even exist in the 1940s or 50s. It's wonderful to see that we have three generations represented here. As I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, Racism was virtually non-existent. All my friends were a mixture of different countries. Television, we loved Bill Cosby. Uh, politics, you had black people running. Oprah Winfrey was the most famous person. It just didn't occur to us. And now my children's generation has seemed to have slid back into this idea that everything's racist involved and they see the world through a lens of racism. And it just pains me to see that. I feel like we've stepped back instead of moved forward when it comes to this topic. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I think we have to be clear. There are racists in America. Absolutely, oh, yeah. Just like there are thieves, there are liars, there are murderers, you know, there are racists. Uh, and, and just because the and law... they're not all white. No, you're right about that. No, but it, every race is capable of racism. Just because the law is now equal doesn't mean that racism can't cause some problems. Let me give you an example. When, when uh, I married my first wife in 1975, we bought a mobile home to live in. And, uh, you know, obviously you have a mobile home, you have to live in a mobile home park. This was in Missouri. And uh, I found out as we were looking for the right park to live in that they, almost every park in that area had a rule that said, if you buy a mobile home in our park, in other words, somebody's selling their mobile home in their park and you buy it, you have to immediately move out. And I thought, that's a strange law, a strange <laughs> rule. And I asked somebody, I said, why would they have such a stupid rule? You, why would they not want your business? You buy a mobile home in their park and you have to move out. He said, well, it's simple. He said, that keeps the blacks out 
because if you're black and you buy a mobile home, they tell you, they show you their rules on the books and you know, you're required to move out. But if you're white, they just let it pass and you can wow. stay there. And sure enough, when we bought a mobile home in that park, which had a rule, you have to move out. They didn't make us move out. So yeah, you can, you know, try to circumvent that, but still there's no doubt about it that racism is, is not anywhere close to what it was before. And one of the best examples is me and my wife. I mean, here I am, an old white guy married to a beautiful black lady. We go everywhere. We go to uh, uh, theaters. Right. And we're living in Texas. <laughs> if we had done that in the 1950s, our lives would be in danger. We'd be getting threats. We'd be getting uh, stones thrown through our windows, bombs, who knows what. I would have never come to Texas. I would have, I'd be living out in California maybe or the North, definitely not here. Things have changed for the better in uh, uh, all kinds of ways. And it's, it's kind of sad that we have one bad incident, which was Florida. Now, I'm not going to say it's the only bad incident, but it was, it's the, the most recent one where, you know, everybody that looked at the video of George Floyd being murdered, uh, you know, was immediately appalled. It's like, yeah. no, that's just... Universally. Which is a sign, uh, I mean, think about that. Everybody was appalled. Yes. If we have systemic, systemic racism, not everybody would be appalled. No. Well, Dennis, what is, I was looking at the Washington Post statistically, whether there's systemic racism or not. And the Washington Post keeps a database of all the crimes and arrests. And of 2019, there were 328 million people in America, right? There were 600,000 arrests for violent crime. Of those unarmed people shot by police, 55 out of all of that, 25 whites, 14 blacks, 11 Hispanics, and five others. That means 14 unarmed blacks were killed out of 10 million arrests. And that equals 0.00014% of the population. And we have riots in the streets saying that police are going around gunning down unarmed black people when statistically it proves otherwise it's more white people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they, somebody asked uh, some black uh, children, uh, how many people do you think are, how many blacks, unarmed blacks are shot by the police every year? And some said a thousand, two thousand, you know, several thousand. Uh, it, it, last year it was actually nine. And your chances of, of a, an unarmed black person going out their door and, and being shot by a policeman are much less than going out your door and being hit by lightning. It will happen more often. So it's, you know, it's not, you know, the, people make all kinds of radical statements like, you know, you're taking your life in your hands every time you go out. And, uh, you know, as a black male, every time you go out, your life is in your hands. You know, you've got a good chance of not coming home. It's ridiculous. Now, my wife and I attended a black church for, for a number of years. And uh, those, uh, it was in a nice, uh, fairly well-to-do neighborhood. Those young black men and, and the older ones, they all had jobs. They all lived in nice homes. You know, we went to home groups uh, and uh, the homes they lived in were nicer than ours. We were in an apartment at that time. They were living in nice homes. So for, you know, you have an occasional uh, black male being killed, but you have millions of black men and women who wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, spend time with their families, go to bed and repeat the same the next day. And they live out their lives. They're not hassled at all. And, uh, you know, my wife has two uh, nephews that came from Nigeria. And when they got to America, they hit the ground running. They immediately got education. They became pharmacists. They live in great houses. They live very comfortably. Uh, and they don't get hassled by the police, to my knowledge. They never have.
Well, folks, I think we can say that the three of us do not believe that there is systemic racism in America today, but we also agree that there is racism, and that is destructive to the unity of our nation. So the next question is, what can we do to overcome it, if at all possible? We will address that question after a brief break. Here at Lamb & Lion Ministries, we have several outstanding Bible prophecy speakers who are available to preach and teach at churches and conferences. Let me take a moment to introduce them to you. First, there is Colonel Tim Moore, our Associate Evangelist and my designated successor. Then there is Nathan Jones, our Internet Evangelist and my co-host on this program. We also have two outstanding Assistant Evangelists who serve the ministry part-time. One is Dr. Patrick Oliver, who is Director of the Criminal Justice Program at Cedarville University in Ohio. He is also the former Police Chief of Cleveland, Ohio. Our other Assistant Evangelist is Pastor Vic Batista of Florida. Vic can preach in either English or Spanish. We are a faith ministry, so we charge no fees for our services. We just expect the host group to cover all expenses and provide a love offering for our ministry. You can find more detailed information about each of these Bible prophecy speakers on our website at lamblion.com. Give us a call. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy and our discussion of racism in America with Dennis Pollack. For those of you who may have turned in late, let me explain that Dennis was formerly Dr. Reagan's assistant evangelist for 11 years until 2004. Then he founded his own ministry called Spirit of Grace. It's an evangelistic ministry aimed primarily at Africa. Dennis's wife, Benedicta, is a Nigerian. Now, in the first half of this program, we determined that the allegation that systemic racism exists in our nation is a lie. But we also concluded that there's still racism on the part of individuals. Dr. Reagan then posed a question for us to think about, and that is where I would like to resume. So, Dennis, how can we overcome racism? Well, that's a big question. I wish I had a little uh, quick, uh, easy answer that would immediately turn America into a completely uh, non racist. Well, you got country. about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, I think if you have to get to the heart of the, uh, the issue, and, uh, you know, I'm a Bible reader. I've been reading the Bible ever since I was 19 years old. And so that's kind of my thing. And as I look into the Scripture, especially the New Testament, the words of Jesus and Paul, uh, I find that all sin comes from within. It comes from what Jesus called our heart, or Paul called it the old man, a sin nature. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and blasphemy. And he just listed all kinds of ugly things and said it all comes from there. And, uh, and then Paul talks about put off the old man which grows corrupt uh, according to the, its, its lusts. So, there is in every human being an old guy, you know, <laughs> an old sin nature that is nasty, corrupt, selfish, greedy, grasping, and... I wish you'd quit calling me names. <laughs> <laughs> right, present company accepted. But this, this sin nature will manifest differently in different people. It doesn't mean that every uh, person that doesn't love Jesus and isn't born again uh, is a racist. There are plenty of non-Christian, non-racists around. And there are, uh, so, so, 
it doesn't mean you'll automatically be a racist, but what it means is that ugly stuff is going to come out of you as a result of this nature. And that's why the Bible, Jesus said, you must be born again. You, you have to have a new nature. Now, we talked earlier about the laws that were passed and, and that, that created civil rights for blacks. And, and, you know, I applaud that. That was necessary. It helped. It brought blacks and whites together, and they began to look at each other and realize, I'm, you're not that different from me, I'm not that different from you, and lo and behold, blacks and white young people began to fall in love, or in some cases, an old guy fell in love with a younger black woman. Uh, so, uh, the laws have been good in that they brought us together, but there's a limit to how far they can go. They, mm -hmm. they can't reach into somebody's heart and pull it out, uh, pull out the evil, put out the racism. You know, and uh, the other side of that is, they can't fix all the black issues. You know, we haven't talked about the black issues such as the lack of fathers in the black home. Oh I mean, goodness, one black, in four black homes do not have a father. Yeah, present. it's That's it's between 70 tragedy. and 75% of black uh, babies are born without the father being That's married right. to the mother. They grow up with the mother having to work one or two jobs. And uh, as, as a result, they're on the street a lot and often in poor neighborhoods. Of course they're going to have problems as they grow up. You put a white kid in that situation, he would also have problems. Journalist Candace Owen says there's four solutions to the, the black problem today. Is one, graduate from high school. Two, don't get pregnant before marriage. Three, get married. And four, don't commit a crime. And she said it, that's the secret to success, depending on, doesn't matter what race you are, that's a secret yeah. for success. And unfortunately, a lot of these inner and city black communities. cooperate with the police, please. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you show them respect. They're there to protect our lives. So. Yeah, and uh, the black commentator, Larry Elder, said, uh, let me give you the five reasons why blacks are having so many trouble, uh, so much trouble in their families and in their communities. He said, uh, reason number five is a lack of black fathers in the home. Absolutely. Number four, lack of black fathers in the home, number three, number two, number one, <laughs> lack of black fathers in the home. Uh, and there is a real problem there. And whether you're white or black, you, you, you've got to admit that. We need to take the words of that wise philosopher, Beyonce, who said you should put a ring on it. And so uh, the, okay. these black young men need to put a ring on the, uh, the wives of their ladies and, and marry them. But what I was going to say was, just like you can't pull racism out of the heart, uh, you know, one thing about Larry Elder I disagreed with, you know, they said, well, what do you do? He said, well, you tell people to be responsible. You tell people, you know, to get jobs, marry their wives. Well, you can tell them all day long, <laughs> but if their heart is, is messed up, if they're not born again, you know, it, it's, it's not going to work. Just like you can tell a racist, you know, you really shouldn't be racist. It's just wrong. And he may nod and smile, but you haven't changed him a bit. It's kind of like telling an obese person, well, you really ought to just not eat so much and lose some weight. You know, well... Yeah, I mean, technically that's right, but you're not doing them any favor. Well, the Bible always seems to bring us back to how God sees things. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. We are all God's children. We are all created in his yeah. image. This division based on the color of your skin, the melatonin, yeah. or maybe some cultural differences is nonsense. When you think that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and we became Christians, we became one body. The races, the ethnicities no longer matter. I love how 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and some parallel verses say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's exactly. neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And when you become saved and you're a Christian, those racial and divides, now obviously there's still 
racial trouble in the church, that old man that you were talking about. But I love how the church is a foretaste of the millennial kingdom when all the nations of the world will be uh, gathered and, and will all love Jesus Christ and there won't be ethnicity problems or racial tensions yeah. during that time. Well, well yeah. I, I like the, uh, I think we could solve racism if if we would do what Jesus said, and that is that uh, we were to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, yeah. that we are to forgive. Yeah. Uh, he, he laid so many principles down. But the problem is, we again can tell people that, but if the Holy Spirit is not residing within them and encouraging them and motivating them to do that, yeah. that old sin nature prevails. Yeah. You know, th there's two things that, that people need to overcome racism. One is just to know the truth. You know, <laughs> from a biblical perspective, there the truth go. is, James, James says, uh, we, we were all created in the likeness of God. And therefore, you, you said you, sh you curse men who've been made in God's likeness. And it's like, you, sh you shouldn't do that. Yeah, it's like cursing God. So, the blacks, the whites, the Hispanics, the Asians, every person has been made in the likeness of God. And the other side of it is, God wants uh, lots of people and lots of variety in His family. And in Revelation, when it talks about those worshiping God, it, it talks about people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, right. uh, you know, all kinds of beautiful colors, all kinds of languages, dialects, and so forth. Uh, so, in a sense of truth, uh, this we know. But you need something more than truth, which is God's love. And uh, the truth is, you're not going to experience the love of God if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. So, we, we need to get born again. And the problem is, in our nation, people are moving away from uh, God, absolutely, not right. toward God. You know, and we have separated ourselves to such a point that we are, we are decaying spiritually. There That's is right. just not the, the love, not the respect. Uh, in general. No grace is shown. Yeah. The grace that we were shown through Jesus Christ's sacrifice we're not sharing with others. Just a few years ago 85% of the people in this nation claim to be Christian. Today it's 65% and it's going, it's drop, dropping you know like a uh, like a bowling ball. It's going down so fast. And of that 65% that claim to be Christian probably only half of those are born again. If right. that many. If that many. Most of them are cultural Christians. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of odd in a way because on the one hand, you know, people are protesting uh, racism, racism, racism. That's really the one area of America that's improving. Yeah. We've come a long way <laughs> since 1950. In every other area, we're getting worse and worse and worse. You know, if we want to protest, let's protest immorality and all the moral sins of America. There's plenty about America oh, to dislike. <laughs> Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy, our discussion of racism with Dennis Pollack. Dennis, folks are going to want to know about you and your ministry. Could you look in the camera and tell them how they can find you? I can do that. Uh, <laughs> my website is spiritofgrace.org, and we've got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of audio files and video files and all kinds of goodies on the website. Also, you can find me on YouTube in a couple of different ways. I have a diabetes channel where I talk about diabetes. Type in Dennis Pollack Diabetes. I have the ministry channel, Dennis Pollack Ministry, and you will find me on YouTube. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you for being with us, and I praise God for your ministry, and pray that the Lord will continue to bless you, your wife, and your outreach in Africa. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope, too, the Lord willing, that you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries, saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. Reagan's book, Living for Christ in the End Times, subtitled Coping with Anarchy and Apostasy, was originally published in the year 2000. 
the second edition is available and it brings the book up to date regarding the rapid decay of our society and the increasing apostasy in the church. He presents many ways to respond to and cope with both the collapse of society and spiritual deception. Some of the chapters are the collapse of society, the apostasy in the church, standing on the word of God, believing in the power of God, relying on the Holy Spirit, practicing tough faith, ordering your priorities, keeping an eternal perspective, and much more. This very relevant book can be yours for a donation of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 